This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, David Talby of John Snow Labs and Esteban Rubens of NetApp join us today to talk to us all about NLP in healthcare. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have some special guests to talk to us all about NLP and we'll talk about what NLP here is is in a second. I had to Google it myself and I'm pretty sure I got the answer here, but we'll find out. Um, So with us today, Esteban Rubens, our resident healthcare expert at NetApp here. Uh, Esteban, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hey, Justin, I'm part of the healthcare team, healthcare and life sciences, and uh, I focus on AI and cloud in healthcare, which is providers, payers, and life sciences companies. So pharma and genomics, anything that uh, involves patient care or patients. All right. And uh, how do we reach you? You can reach me at esteban.rubens at netup.com or LinkedIn. It's E-S-T-E-B-A-N. And my last name is R-U-B-E-N-S. All right. Excellent. Also with us today, uh, David Talby is here. So David, what do you do and how do I reach you? I'm the Chief Technology Technology Officer at uh, John Snow Labs. Uh, we are the developers of the Spark NLP library and Spark NLP for Healthcare library. Uh, I'm, I'm available by email, uh, david at uh, johnsnowlabs.com uh, or also on LinkedIn, just linkedin.com slash in slash David Talby, D-A-V-I-D-T-A-L-B-Y. All right, excellent. We'll include that in the blog notes as well. Uh, David, did did this company start before or after Game of Thrones? Yeah, started uh, during Game of Thrones. During, yes, and and actually, uh, initially there was some point uh, where uh, at the end of the fourth season, it was unknown whether Jon Snow is alive or dead or dead. And be- before the fifth season, we actually saw a significant bump in traffic to our own website because people were just so it was such a popular query like Jon Jon Snow health, uh, you know, which which worked well. Uh, but really, the company is not named after the uh, Game of Thrones character. Okay, that's it's, interesting. Yeah. It's actually worked out really well for you, if uh, if you go yeah, exactly yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we named yeah, we, we're named after the the father of epidemiology, Doctor John Snow, was uh, you know a real physician in Victorian London, and uh, considered one, one of the first people to actually apply data to improve public health. Oh. And that, that's the inspiration behind the company. Yep. Well, you learn something new every day here at the podcast, so that's excellent. <laughs> And we can put a, a link uh, in the blog because they, I always thought it was really cool that they have that cholera map of London where he was annotating where people were getting sick and the numbers and the locations. And then they kind of found out that it's related to water sources and they shut those down and people didn't get sick anymore. So it's actually really an amazing story of data science in the 19th century. So you like the father of contact tracing? Uh, basically, so so yeah, so it's it's exactly like that. Uh, so there was a cholera outbreak in in Soho in London in 1854, and what John Snow uh, did, which was really amazing, you know, amazingly forward-looking at the time, was exactly as someone said, build uh, build a map uh, of all the people who died. Okay, and he literally he did contact tracing by actually walking house, you know, walking house house to house, and 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 trying to find those contacts. Uh, and and so so yes, to, to an extent, definitely. And one of the interesting insights was uh, that there was one water well that seemed to connect all of those patients. And, and that was a very big insight at the time because before the invention of the microscope, 
it was not known that cholera is waterborne. And that was really kind of the big insights. Uh, so that's really one of the great, really well-known early examples of, of really using data really to, you know, to mine, right, mine uh, insights, right, that are unexpected and new and actually useful to people. Cool. So, um, you know, we, we covered in the beginning that we're going to talk about something called NLP. Uh, and before we start talking about that spe- uh, specifically, uh, let's cover the acronym. What is that acronym? Let's unpack that. Natural Language Processing. My Google search which, was correct. Yes, <laughs> which Score. basically relates to yes. So it's a it's a field of computer science uh, that uh, uh, relates to really how do we understand uh, natural language, right? Meaning human language as we speak it. So uh, if uh, you know, so of course, computers can read you know programming languages, but if we'd like them to be able to read and answer questions, you know, for example, from Wikipedia articles, right? Like you do kind of the SAT like reading comprehension, uh, or to for example to understand patient notes and say, oh, what's the right next thing we should do with this patient? or to be able to read the legal contract, right, or legal precedents and tell you what's relevant for your case, or, you know, read the customer support use case and say, oh, here's the correct answer for this document. For those things, whether it's text or audio or video, you need software that understands really all the, the nuances and the jargon, right, and the, you know, different ways we, you know, we as humans speak. And that's that's what natural language processing is all about. Okay, so... That said, I mean, how does this relate to healthcare? Like, where does this fit in? Uh, sure. So, in healthcare, uh, text is is still well uh, a lot of the clinically relevant content is documented. So, one one thing we did with you know when we, we implemented EHRs, uh, electronic health records in the industry, is that instead of my medical record being you know in a paper file in the you know in the doctor's room on the you know on the shelf, now it's in a computer. But it's still all text. So when, when I have a doctor's visit, uh, there's a there's a there are the notes describe what happened, right? Why I came in, what were the symptoms, what were the physical exams, uh, what was the discussion about what the plan is. When someone goes to a hospital, also you have the admit note, discharge notes, progress notes, right? Everything that's happened with the patient. Uh, and uh, because of really just the complexity of healthcare and the fact that each person is unique, uh, there are quite a few specialties in healthcare where really if you want to understand if you want to do clinical decision support, right? What, what's the right thing to do for this for this person next? If you want to uh, define patient cohorts, right? Because you want to uh, recruit people for clinical trials, right? If you want to understand, you know, what does the COVID vaccine do and how does long COVID look like, right? Uh, in many cases, uh, the only place that actually has the information you want is free is text, okay? And and uh, for example, if you look at the uh, oncology, very basic things like you know. Um, where is the tumor? Uh, what's the, the the staging of the tumor? Is it metastatic? Um, you know, the, the, the laterality, the histological values are only available in free text. Uh, if you're dealing with the uh, mental health or social determinants of health, uh, and you want to know, you know whether there is a you know, family history of depression, whether there's you know, hints of substance abuse or violence or other things, that will only be in text. Uh, so, so healthcare is really uh, one of those domains where... Uh, you know, if you want to move away from how we do it today, which is, you know, people sit and read things one by one, right? And that, that's how you do it today, right? You want to know how many people probably had the flu, uh, you know, in, in your, you know, in your ward. Uh, you sit down a nurse and, and they, read, they read manually one by one. If you want to get away from that, you need software that can not only understand natural languages as we speak it and we write it, uh, but also understand it specifically in a clinical context, right? To understand the, the jargon and medical terminology and, and uh, their specialty, the questions we need answers for. Yeah, so, and I'll just okay. to add one thing, there's 
so much variation to David's point. Every institution, even every person does things slightly differently. It's, it's jargon within jargon. I, I come from medical imaging and even there you have reports and you would think that people would describe anatomical features or bones or organs the same way. And there are always subtle differences of what they say to refer to the same thing. And then also there's the issue of uh, the subtext or things that are really understood if you read it, but may not be clear unless you are human. How do we extract that other information, uh, you know, tone or mood or, you know, anything related to, to that kind of messaging. So the problem is really, really complicated and it hasn't been tractable until fairly recently, which is why it's so exciting to have NLP, to have NLP that actually works and to have companies like Johnson Labs focusing on NLP in healthcare. So, David, can you tell us a little bit more about Jon Snow Labs? I know we touched on it a bit, you know, with the origin story of Jon Snow, but what about the, the company itself? Can you kind of give us the history there? Uh, definitely. Uh, we are a software company. We started in 2015. Uh, we've always been focused on, on, on healthcare. Um, we, are most, we are most well known for the Spark NLP library. Uh, Spark NLP is an, is an open source library. Yeah, which for the past three and a half years has been the, the most widely used NLP library in the enterprise. Yeah, so kind of outside research, when people go to production yeah, or need the scaling, they, they usually go with Spark NLP. And, and it's used, uh, it, you know, it has, uh, uh, we've been releasing new versions every two weeks for over four years now. There are more, there are more than uh, 5,000 models in the, in the models hub. It's, on a, it's on, you know, supported, available to the community. Um, and you know, in over 200 languages, and it's really widely deployed in production, basically every environment. Uh, on top of the open source project, and basically the way we fund it, is we have two software products. We have Spark NLP for healthcare, and we have Spark OCR. Spark NLP for healthcare uh, gives the, the healthcare and pharma industries state-of-the-art healthcare NLP, I mean clinical and biomedical natural language processing. Uh, it's, it's by far the most widely used in the field. In the latest NLP industry survey, uh, we have about a, a, you know we have nine, a 59% market share uh, uh, you know among healthcare and uh, uh, life science ai teams uh, so when they need nlp usually people come to us uh, because really what what we've done is we've taken the latest research in deep learning transfer learning uh, where it is specific to the healthcare domain uh, and as Svan says that there are definitely that it, it's a, it's a different technical challenge uh, there, so there are micro languages there's a lot of uh, jargon uh, that's very, very specific to a subspecialty or even organizations. You need to be able to do tuning. And, and even at the academic level, a kind of separate conference, separate workshops for biomedical NLP. Uh, and our job is to, to track all the new research on innovations that are coming. When, when there is something that actually improves the state of the art. Uh, our job is to give the, the industry the, the production grade, scalable, trainable version of that. Uh, we also, in, in, in quite a few cases, we were able to improve accuracy and establish new state of the art results. And we, we have several peer-reviewed papers on, you know, papers with code that shows where we have the, kind of really the best accuracy ever that's been achieved. Um, and uh, and that, so, and that, that's really, that, that's kind of, that, that's our goal. And now we, we work with majority of the larger pharma companies, larger pairs, quite a few, uh, you know, US healthcare providers and software companies. So I know that there's a lot of other similar uh, processing of, of language that is available. So like, for example, you know, I do podcast transcriptions where I'll, I'll run this, yeah audio through 
Google's podcast or our audio transcription uh, services. And, you know, it's hit or miss as far as like the results. So I, I imagine that with this type of, you know, learning processing with the, or sorry, language processing with the medical terminology, you have to kind of train the data sets to, to learn these different languages. I know I have to do that with the podcast. I have to tell it that NetApp has NetApp and that Justin is Justin. So are you constantly training these? Is this an automated process? How is that happening on the back end with, with your software? So first of all, yes, you're absolutely correct. You, you do need the ability to train and tune model. And, and one of our core features is that we, we enable you to do that. We enable you not just to configure your own pipelines, also yes, to train your own models, to, to tune existing models like with transfer learning uh, to different uh, you know to different contexts. And uh, in healthcare, it's critical for, for you know for, for many reasons. Uh, one is is uh, as you said, yeah, yeah. When you have a podcast, you need to tell you that NetApp is NetApp. In healthcare, uh, for example, you know the, the UMLS. The terminology just in English has over 3 million different medical terms. Okay. And if you think about that, several times the size of like the, the, the English dictionary, the English language dictionary. All right. So that there's a lot of complexity there. Uh, but on top of that, uh, there's a lot of jargon that people use. Right. And, and uh, really, the way to think about languages in healthcare is really each specialty is its own language. Okay. And I mean, a language in the human way, I mean, if you want to, to learn to read you know, pathology reports, uh, you probably need to invest as much time as you need if you, you know, then if you wanted to learn your Russian or Portuguese, right? It's it's a, you know it's different words, different semantics, different grammar, different context, right? Different slang, right? That people use to convey different things. Uh, even doctors, right? So you know, if, if you're a dentist, you're not going to be able to read a radiology report, right? It, it really has a different language, uh, so you need to uh, really specialize. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, people. Uh, they just write things differently and they mean different things, right? And as Esteban said, yes, even within, uh, when you're within the same specialties, you think, look, this is the radiology report, it's a CT scan, you know, of the chest, right? It should be the same across different places. No, people call organs different things. They, they diagnose in a different way. Uh, they call out, you know, different things. And then there are also things that are uh, super specific to context. So, for example, you know, one of the examples we've seen in the past was uh, when someone writes, for example, a, a patient denies alcohol abuse, Okay, uh, what they really mean as a doctor is I suspect alcohol abuse, right? Uh, so this is really a message to the next doctor. Look, try not to give this medication, you know, this, this person medication may conflict with alcohol, right? So those are the kind of things where uh, if you're doing question answering, right, you need to see, oh, well, you know, what's the next best thing, best thing for this patient? Or, you know, what, what are the risks there, right? What, what organs may be a fit for? These are the, the kind of things where you need to get the information correctly, uh, right? And we, which means that you really need to understand the, the the domain right and the context that you're running yeah there's there's lots of other nuances there too you know uh accents right like southern accents in in america or northern accents in america or you know different dialects of spanish those all have to be factored into the transcriptions of the audio and i imagine that, that healthcare audio and surveys would have the same problem there uh, yes, if you're transcribing exactly. So, so one issue is yes, a, a lot of a, a lot of the doctors, you know, by the way, everywhere, but also in the U.S. Yes, they're not U.S. born, and and they have accents, uh, definitely, and uh, uh, the accents are varied, right? So, so you know, if, if you're dealing with the uh, say, you know, a call center industry, then usually you know, okay, look, I have my, you know, I have my call center, uh, and I I can match a model, a trained model to the concept, right? So I can have my uh, so American English, Costa Rican English, Filipino English, India English, and the models would, would pretty much work. With the doctor, it's really one by one, 
And that's a lot of what you see in healthcare. Yeah, you, you, know, you, you train the model for one person. Yeah, you train the model for one person. <laughs> that happens a lot. Uh, but in healthcare, uh, it's, it's, the problem is, is, in a sense, worse than that. Because what happens is, is this. You have a, the, the sixth floor of you know, internal medicine, you know, A, in a hospital. And you have the seventh floor, which is internal medicine B. Those two floors would go to use really different languages over time, different jargon. Right? Because what happens is uh, you have a group of people there, so you're going to have you know, six, seven doctors and you know, 15 to 20 nurses. They work together day in, day out for five years, 10 years. They're going to de- develop their own language. Right? So, so they're going to agree among themselves, oh, you know, when, when I tell you to do um, you know, test A, okay, uh, so please order test ABC, what it means is for this kind of patient, it means that I only rule out two other things. Right? Otherwise, you'd know that I would ask you for something else. Right, that, that all of these imply things that people who work together for a long time put together, uh, uh, which really means that you need to you need to be super specific uh, about how you train models, how you tune models, and also how you track changes in those models over time. So I know I focused a lot on audio transcriptions because that's kind of what I'm familiar with. What other mm-hmm. sorts of things does does your service do? I mean, is it is it taking files of of text or is it taking images or all of the above? Yeah, so it's, so it's all there, Bob. Uh, w- one big thing that you need to do if you want to, for example, understand patients over time is uh, be able to take all the data you have about the patients, kind of normalize it and put it together. So some of the information is going to be digital text, right? For example, note that someone type into an, you know, into an EHR, right, electronic health system, right, or that someone only transcribed. Uh, some of the information is going to be from audio. Right? And it could be uh, it could be the doctor, you know, your, your conversation with your doctor. It could be uh, you know, uh, a doctor calling the pharma company and asking a question about a potential side effect, right? Uh, it could be a patient calling, you know, a helpline and saying, oh, you know, I, I'm having these symptoms, do I need to go to the area or no? Uh, so that's on the audio. Uh, but then there's a lot of, uh, also a lot of scan documents. Okay, so there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, emailing PDFs around uh, and even faxing in healthcare, uh, especially things like, uh, you know, uh, next generation sequencing reports, lab reports, pathology reports, right? Basically, every time they send you to another building, right, very often they'll email, you know, they used to just send you back with papers, and some, sometimes they still do, and then you need to scan it, or they email PDFs or fax them. And so we get a lot of that. And then there are images as well, right? So there are DICOM images, medical images, and, and for them, often, yeah, you need to extract information from the image itself, or you need to de-identify the image as part of the identified entire patient. Yeah, so we deal with that as well. So basically, within Spark NLP, we deal with the core text. Spark NLP for healthcare, we deal with kind of clinical biomedical text. And with Spark OCR, we deal with the, you know, the images, the visual documents, scan PDFs. So these data sources, I would imagine, are going to have to be stored somewhere. So where does Jon Snow keep all this data? Or do they license out data sets from other people? Or are they sharing and collaborating across the industry? Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, a, a bit of everything. Uh, for uh, one data set, there are some data sets that uh, we have built uh, because one, one of the challenges in healthcare is that uh, a lot of sharing is either extremely difficult or sometimes even just illegal, right, for, you know, for good privacy reasons. Uh, so some data sets are available publicly or shared kind of, you know, with, with, you know shared across the industry. Uh, some data sets we have built to, to implement kind of specific models that were not available. And then there's the, the, the customer data. And now with us, the way we operate, we, we do not operate anything as a service. So it's not, you know, if you need something, for example, you know, you, you, a medical conversation transcribe, you do not send this to us over the cloud. We install the software on your infrastructure. The software runs there. 
Uh, and the advantage to you is then you, you do not need to share anything with us, right? So you, you never send the data to any third party. Everything runs within your own security and infrastructure. Uh, nothing gets shared, right? And, and the outputs are only used. Like we will never, we or anyone else will never see what has happened. Uh, so from a, a, just a privacy by design uh, perspective, uh, this works very well uh, for this industry uh, because very often really people are just, you know, really un either unable or unwilling right, to, share, to share data for those purposes, um, either you know, for, you know, for privacy reasons um, or, or sometimes really for intellectual property reasons. Uh, the other thing this enables you to do is it enables you to run the software uh, where the data is. And uh, another thing you have with healthcare data is you often have data residency regulations, right? So if a patient is in the UK, the data has to physically stay in, in the process in the UK. Right, versus Canada, versus you know, Singapore, versus you know, Brazil, uh, so we can we can easily deal with those issues as well. So, how about your your cloud presence? Do you have a way to leverage the cloud? Are you already using it for scaling out compute and storage? Like, what is the story there? Uh, yes. So we, uh, I mean, our software runs. You know, this been used in production across really all, all the all the major cloud platforms. And, and we have quite a few live customers, you know, on AWS and on Azure and on Google and, and really on other platforms as well. Uh, and uh, we, we've done a lot of work over the years to, to make that easier for people to do. Uh, our, our software is called Spark NLP because it is it is based on, on Apache Spark, uh, making it really still the only natively uh, distributable and parallelizable natural language processing li library out there. And this works for training as well as for inference. Uh, what it means, it means if, uh, for example, you know, if, if you're on say, AWS on, on Google, you have managed uh, managed Spark uh, infrastructure like you know, like EMR, right? Where you can, you know, if you need to, you can you can easily scale uh, scale your compute uh, that way, right? Uh, similarly, you can of course scale, scale storage or any of the large cloud providers. If you're working within an ML platform, right? Like you know, Azure ML Studio, right? Or uh, uh, SageMaker, you know, so you can. Uh, first of all, you can install the software locally, right? Kind of to work within uh, within your container, uh, and really within healthcare, a lot of the uh, 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 privacy by design and security by design are, are really key, right? So making sure you can work within a sandbox, uh, because a lot of uh, uh, very often people use our software to work on data that has BHI, uh, so you can do that. But then either you know you can uh, you know with all really all the cloud tools today, you can uh, scale training, you can scale inference, uh, so people scale usually today. Either on Kubernetes, right, on on uh, uh, larger Spark clusters, and really all the cloud providers provide kind of the you know the, the scaling and auto scaling tools to enable you to do that. And so really, usually our focus is just to make sure that in each and every of the uh, large cloud providers or large you know, on-prem kind of uh, platforms, uh, we we integrate native. So are your customers expected to have their own existing Spark clusters and Kubernetes deployments, or does the John Snow Labs portion act as a platform as a service and provide all that up front for them? Uh, no, so our, our clients do that. Um, and, and, that's, and that's consistently been their choice. Uh, initially, we thought that we would need to do some kind of a platform as a service, but I think what, what we are seeing specifically in healthcare and life science is because of data uh, privacy and compliance reasons, uh, people really want things to run you know, under their own control. And this has actually been a differentiator for us, uh, especially against you know, uh, really some, some of the uh, public cloud uh, services around NLP, uh, just the ability to say, yes, look, you can run this within your own control infrastructure, whether it's your own you know, AWS Azure account, 
and you can we can help you scale it there if you need to. Uh, but you know, nothing ever gets sent out, nothing gets shared. Uh, that, that's actually been a that, that's that's been a positive differentiator, uh, as we see. So, does the software get installed on clients, or is it an agent, or does it run as a container within their Kubernetes pods? So, so it can run either way. Uh, you can either install it as, as a library, and then you can run it. Uh, you can run it on Databricks, right? You can run it on SageMaker. You can run it on EMR, or you can run it uh, within the local container. Uh, a lot of most people, when they start here, yeah, they just start with the container, right? Uh, which enables you to, for example, do one things on your laptop. And that's another thing that often happens. Uh, sometimes people ask, okay, do, do, I, do I really, do I, you know, must I have a Spark cluster, right, or Kubernetes cluster? Usually the answer is no. You can definitely just run things uh, locally on your laptop and you kind of debug build that way until you're ready to go to production and scale, right? And then, yeah, you can take the same containers, right, and, and scale them, right? Or, you know, if you need a large batch or streaming job, you can scale it over the Spark cluster. And as far as the data sets go, I mean, can... It can it can consume any sort of data based on what the client can consume, right? So if it's an NFS mount or a block device or you know whatever that you provide it, the software doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. So the software is a library, so exactly whatever you can read into memory, you know, we, we can read. What we have done, we, we have done a lot of work to be able to to optimize, uh, right? Specific and especially you know, the, the more large scale infrastructure, right? So. Uh, which is a lot what, what Spark provides us, right? So if you have data, you know, on HDFS or on S3, and you say large kind of block storage, uh, you, what, what you want to be able to do is to be able to uh, actually, uh, you know, distribute the jobs, right? And, and be able to, uh, you know, actually use parallelism, right? In posting very large amounts of data. Uh, so we've done the optimizations to enable you to do that. And that's, that's really a lot, where a lot of the, the benefit from Spark comes along. Right, and your your Spark backend is gonna probably be something like a a Gluster or maybe a Flex Group, right, from Ontap. Yeah, precisely, exactly. Cool. Yep. And what yeah. about interfaces like HL seven? Do you go out and get data from some healthcare applications, or does the data have to be curated out of the applications for you to look at? Um. So we 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 do it both ways. Uh, usually, we get asked to get the data as well. Uh, HL7 uh, usually is is, uh, is limited to more of the structured data. Uh, although we, we definitely do process HL7 for two reasons. Uh, first of all, th there are some nodes within HL7. Uh, there are a few node fields, uh, but more commonly, uh, sometimes because of the way just the EHRs are implemented, people put uh, free text where they shouldn't, right? So they are communication, but they put kind of instructions there. Uh, so even if, if you're looking to uh, you know de-identify data, uh, often you need to actually look for a PHI in free text, even in, you know, in all of those fields. Uh, so that's one thing we are seeing. Uh, but I would say uh, usually we need to get data from elsewhere as well, uh, because when you deal with NLP, usually we deal with, with kind of with the messier parts that are not covered uh, by Fire, right? Because if you look at you know, Fire, uh, OMOP, Odyssey, kind of those data models, usually the focus on kind of the you know the core the core data model, right? So you know what is the patient, what is the clinical encounter. Uh, what is a you know procedure, right? What is a prescription? What is a lab result? Right. Uh, right. With the uh, you know with NLP, often you kind of say, oh, and uh, well, you know, if it's a 100-page PDF output from Epic, uh, can you please read it and do you know patient risk certification, right? Or, or you know, see which group this patient would match to, or, or answer answer specific clinical questions, right? Or I have the uh, you know next generation sequencing report, which also this this you know 30-page PDF. Uh, that's uh, you know that, that's actually you know printed in a way that's very hard for machine to read. And can you you know can you tell me what are the main relevant you know 
biomarkers that, that, that are kind of actionable alterations, right, for these specific patients. Um, uh, similar with the images, right? If you deal with ICOM images, usually come and say, oh yeah, in the EHR we have, you know, we, we have a, you know, we have an ID and then you, you go to this other SFDP location, right, or NFS, right, and you get it from there. Uh, so right now I would say very often when, you know, when, when you want to deal with the, anything that's not structured data, you, you, know, you, you start dealing with some custom stuff. So how about use cases? I mean, and we talk a little about we've talked about what NLP can do and what sort of data sources it needs. Where where would we use it? Like where would it be the most beneficial within the industry? Uh, sure. So so I now say we we really we have customers across really to the top pairs, top providers, uh, top pharma companies, and a lot of uh, software companies in this space. Uh, so really we are seeing a, a broad range of use cases. Uh, and let's see if I can like, just think about some of the popular ones we are seeing. And so definitely when um, one set of use cases comes around reading, really reading EHR data and patient records and putting together kind of a timeline of a patient, uh, that's important if you want to, uh, first of all, really just summarize where a patient is uh, to enable, for example, you know, in oncology, uh, build, here's the board for this patient, here's where they are right now, here are the pros and cons. And doing a, a, any kind of a, a clinical decision support. Right, so you know, what is the recommended thing to do with this patient? Uh, which is in most most cases something you cannot do with just structured data today. Uh, matching patients to clinical trials is a big problem because that's really a revenue source to hospitals, to to pharma companies. Uh, but most importantly, and you know, COVID is a good example. Uh, uh, delays kill people, right? And uh, and right now, uh, most most trials do get delayed by an average of a year. Uh, matching patients to uh, new research. Kind of what, you know, what are the relevant papers for this specific type of patient, very, very specific condition, very specific demographics uh, that I should know about as a doctor is another use case we are seeing. Um, uh, um, let's see, other, other use cases out there um, would be in the area of uh, real-world data and real-world evidence. Okay, uh, so, so for example, uh, let's say you know, you're looking, for example, at you know, long COVID impacts, right? So you have this population of you know, 5, 10, 20, you know, 200 million people. And you say, okay, well, I want to see what happened to them clinically and what are the, you know, what's interesting. And you, you're not really sure what you're looking for. Um, so in, in those cases, especially for, uh, because especially you know, in the US, really, um, what you have at structured data is the stuff that's available. So if you're looking uh, for cases where people had symptoms or we suspected something or there's family history, right? Or patient complained about something, but we didn't quite know what to do with it. All of that will only be available in text. Uh, so having software that can automatically uh, read those reports, right? So if, you know, oncology, it's more radiology, pathology, right? In the uh, uh, office visits, more really kind of the office visits themselves, some, sometimes lab reports. Uh, that's another common use case. Uh, within uh, uh, more population health, uh, one big question within population health is, okay, let's say I have a program, right? So I have a program for, you know, pregnancies at risk, right? Or uh, undiagnosed diabetes, undiagnosed depression. Uh, your first problem is how do I find the patient? The patients I should reach out to, right, to try to get them into the program, right? Uh, and and if you want to understand, you know, for example, undiagnosed diabetes, well, it's, it's undiagnosed, right? So obviously, they're not going to have a, you know a clinical code that's attached to it, right? Uh, if you want people who are at risk, for example, for you know suicide or depression, uh, there's not going to be a diagnosis code or prescription, right? Because you're looking for the unmanaged patients, right? So we're looking for hints. Right, so social determinants, uh, substance abuse, previous depression, family history, those kinds of things to see, you know, who, who may be, you know, who may have a problem there, who can potentially benefit. Uh, which means that you need to read the notes, 
right? And really, the, the way people do this today, really, it, I mean, it seems very archaic, but, but really, people sit down and read patient notes one by one, uh, which takes months and means that, you know, a lot of things just never happen. And today, we, we do have the capability to do this fairly well. So that's on the clinical side. Yeah, and then there's also a lot of work with NLP on the, the biomedical side, on biomedical research. Uh, so, for example, being, being able to automatically read uh, medical literature and extract insights from it. So finding, a, you, know, where, you know, what's the current recent literature about, you know, drug-drug interactions, about uh, genes, gene variants, and human phenotypes, and how, how those variants impact humans. Um, a different re new results from different clinical trials. Uh, building and uh, so, so there's a lot of work on uh, automatically reading uh, papers, automatically summarizing them, and automatically building knowledge graphs. Okay, so that you can do kind of multi-hop queries, right? Where you can come say, oh, you know, this paper says that you know um, this protein has this biomedic, you know, biological mechanism. This other paper says this biological mechanism may involved in this symptom or this disease. Right? This other paper says that oh, this disease right now, you know, it has this brand name drug that seems to have a similar biological mechanism, so maybe you can use the other drug as well. Uh, so those are the kind of things where, you know, around drug discovery, drug repurposing, uh, that a lot of people are working today as well. Uh, so overall, overall, I would say, look, it's a, you know, it's a very bold set of use cases. You know, we we're seeing fraud, waste, and abuse uh, use cases, uh, identity theft use cases, uh, ACO reporting use cases. Yeah, I think we, we are right now really very early on because really now for the, for the first time in history, We've taken all these notes that doctors have been trained to write about us and have been writing about us. And, and two things happen. First of all, for the first time in history, those notes are actually digital. Right? They're actually available in a computer. Either not you know, sitting on a shelf on paper somewhere, someplace. And the second thing that happened was really a deep learning and transfer learning happened to NLP. And we're saying really just in the past three, four years, that the number of use cases that have actually become possible, right? That moved from, you know, like, same like translation, right? Translation when you know, it was garbage 20 years ago, it's sort of it's sort of usable today. Uh, so we, we we've had similar leaps in accuracy. Uh, where right now there, there are more and more uh, tasks where I can continue to I, I can tell you, uh, you know, we kind of peer-reviewed academic results. Look, humans do as well as machines, right, on this specific task. Right? The identification is one of them. There are also some other kind of super specific tasks where we, we can call that out as well. Uh, so I would say it's it's very early days. We, we're seeing a lot of things that people are trying, and I think we have a, easily a good you know two three decades of of you know progress and actually productizing things ahead of us. So how about um, how it applied to, to you know the modern stuff that's going on with the pandemic? You know where would natural where would the language processing pieces fall in there? Is it, or does it even have an application in that space? Uh, definitely. Uh, the, the, I mean, definitely we've seen some new applications at COVID and, you know, COVID, uh, you know, it's been an unfortunate accelerator, right, for many things, many technologies, NLP being one of them. Uh, one of the things we've seen really in the, all the industry survey in the past two years uh, is that uh, in 2020, and this was, you know, post-COVID and then again in 2021 in the fall, uh, enterprise investment in NLP uh, has grown by an average of 30% uh, in, in the last kind of two industry surveys. And, and it's really kind of, yeah, cybersecurity and AI were, you know, pretty much the only consistently growing kind of IT investment. And NLP is really is, is one of those things that become one of those, really one of those core technologies, uh, at least in healthcare. Uh, so I'd say here's some of the main use cases we're seeing. Um, one of them, a lot of the uh, hospitals, because really there's been this, uh, this deluge of patient questions. 
uh, we've seen a lot of use cases around looking at questions from patients, right? Either either from calls or from emails or from web forms. Uh, well, either can we automatically answer these questions, right? Uh, will people ask about COVID? Uh, or uh, more importantly, can we auto automatically classify uh, clinical emergencies, right? So, for example, one really cool use case we've done we we had the, with, the, with the large US uh, healthcare uh, healthcare system. It was uh, they were receiving about seventy thousand uh, really online you know uh, messages, right? Yeah, different messaging channels, they had forms, online messages, chats, uh, all of that. Um, and the problem was that about two percent of them were uh, actual clinical emergencies, right? Where someone describes the symptom and like you, you read this and like, look, you, you should not be <laughs> feeling away from you should go to DR right now. Um, and uh, you know you think that people would you know call nine one one or go, but but sometimes they don't. Uh, and the problem is with 70,000 per day, uh, it, it was just impossible to manually go and filter everything, right? Especially when 98, 99% of them are not, not emergencies. So this is one case where if you can have an automated model and, and find the, the ones that are either emergency or likely to be emergency, immediately forward that to clinicians, you can save people, right? And that's something that, that grew significantly with COVID because a lot of people really moved from coming to, you know, to calling or using messaging, using whatever form of communication they had available. Another thing that COVID seriously accelerated was automatically summarizing and learning for medical research. Uh, so one of the things that happened with COVID is that, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but there were hundreds of thousands of new academic papers about COVID that were published like, in the last 18 months. And the problem is that nobody, can, no one can read them, right? I mean, you know, it used to be the case, like, you know, in the, in the 70s, right, if you were a heart surgeon, every month you would just sit one week and you would read all the new papers about heart surgery that came out that month, right? Uh, today, I think I, I saw one estimate a couple of weeks ago that said you'd need to spend 27 hours a day reading just to catch up on your own subspecialty, right, as a doctor today, right? Uh, so, so really, you just don't know. Uh, so so uh, being able to basically automate this part, have, have software, let's say, you know, read the abstract, read the papers, extract it to me. What, what, you know, what is the general agreement in research, right? What, what are the, the key symptoms? What seems to work? What are the side effects? What are the probable mechanisms? What are the demographic impacts? Uh, that's that's another thing that's that's uh, that's being used uh, very very heavily. Uh, so that's and that's another thing that I think definitely will keep happening. Uh, we'll have a lot of software really reading academic papers for us and summarizing it, uh, so that people can keep up. Uh, and the other big thing right now, if you're looking at the vaccine or looking at long COVID, uh, one of the really open questions still, right? That's that's uh, you know probably one, one of the more uh, most urgent ones to kind of to you know to the world science today. Is really what happens, right? So, so you know, what what is long COVID, right? And what what are the side effects, right? What are the side effects from the vaccine? What what do we not know? Yeah, you know, what, what do we do about the things we haven't tested in clinical trials, like you know, children, uh, people with cancer, people with pregnancies? Uh, and for that, what you want to do is you want to you know collect real world evidence, right? You want to look at medical records and what people reported uh, over the past eighteen months, and very quickly be able to uh, come out come up with with those insights. And a lot of it depends on being able to read the notes. Right, because a lot of it, you know, oh, patient complained about, you know, whatever, you know, nausea and inability to sleep, but it passed after three days. It's just going to be a no. There's, there's not, it's going to be nothing else. So, so a lot of those things, really, you, you're only going to be, uh, be able to pay attention to, to the fact, oh, look, this is important because this happened to, you know, eighty thousand people, you know, within this demographic. Uh, you'll only be able to do this. You're able to automatically read the notes and summarize uh, things, right? And then, and then once you have structured data, notice those trends. So where do you see NLP going in the next few years? Like what sort of trends are you noticing and where do you think it'll end up? 
it's, I think it's very early days right now. It's very, very exciting. Uh, right now, we are still seeing really, I mean, you know, accuracy is improving really on a, you know, on a quarterly basis. Uh, I mean, we, we, see, we, we do a lot of work just re-implementing things, right, and implementing new and better ideas that come along. Uh, if we look forward, I think there are some, some super interesting trends that are, that, that are just around the corner. Uh, one of them is really the move to more uh, no-code and low-code solutions. Right, so so right now you still yeah, you need to be a data scientist and, and have some experience with deep learning to be able to train or tune models. Uh, I think right now we have some tool. We have our own annotation lab, and what we are seeing right now is really the first time where really uh, doctors are training and tuning models. Right, so you know if you're a dentist and you kind of say, okay, look, I want you to read, you know, automatically translate, read radiology reports, and understand the you know um, like are there cavities, right? Are the root canals? You know, should we do something, you know, with this patient? Um, you want a, a domain expert like you know, like a doctor, right? Like a lawyer with legal precedence, right? Like a financial analyst with financial disclosures, uh, automatically train tune the model uh, without coding, right? And be able to deploy it all the way. Uh, and I think that that's you know, we, I think we'll get there uh, gradually over the next the next few years. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, another uh, big theme is uh, moving uh, uh, really to enable much more direct question answering, right? So. Um, Right now, there is kind of natural language BI, uh, but I think that there's a goal to do uh, much better in terms of accuracy and kind of uh, being able to answer domain-specific questions so that uh, really uh, you'll be able to treat machines, really as you treat human experts today, which is, look, just give me, kind of give me all the junk, give me all the noisy data, right? I don't care if it's images, if it's scanned, if it's half, if the data is conflicting, if you have missing data, if it's you know super localized jargon, just give it to me. Just ask questions about the patients, right? So, you know, how many patients that are, you know, with stage three of this kind of cancer had this side effect, right? How many people on the trial, uh, you know, show this level of improvement, yes or no, compared to, like, other groups? Uh, and really, you'll be able to, to ask natural language questions like researchers do and get immediate answers. And I think we're gradually getting to a point where kind of all the, all the underlying pieces are there to enable this, uh, which is very, very exciting. And really, we're seeing progress really month over month with this. Uh, the third, I think, very important thing we are seeing is, uh, I think, responsible AI is becoming more, 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 for, you know, it's moving from the talk stage to the reality stage. Uh, and that's also something, I mean, I'm, I'm personally seeing progress. We are doing a lot of work in that area uh, around making sure that dealing with, with bias, dealing with transparency, dealing with, you know, fairness, dealing with uh, uh, really just the safety, right, which is being, <laughs> the, the, really the first thing you care about in healthcare. It really becomes a much more engaged in the data science and development process, uh, right? So first of all, it's not an afterthought, uh, but the other thing, thing uh, the tools are there, the processes are there. Uh, I think kind of, you know, we, we're going to, you know, blink twice and it's going to be one of the things that is just going to be kind of ingrained, ingrained best practices uh, that, that people will just come to expect. So you think we'll get to a point where we'll have Alexa for healthcare? <laughs> oh, we definitely will. Uh, yes, I have no worries there. Uh, we, look, uh, by the way, one important thing, this is not going to replace doctors, of course, right? I think that there's some, uh, you know, kind of, you know, fairy tale stuff that, yeah, we're going to do away with doctors. Uh, I don't see that happening a lot. I think that the, the most useful tool in medicine, like, period, for the past 5,000 years is a face-to-face discussion between a doctor and a patient, right? And that's going to remain, that's going to remain the case, right? You know, even, you know, even in Star Trek, right, they had the human doctor. Right? Because then you have a patient, you want to talk to your patient, see what the problem is. Uh, but uh, I think that definitely what's going to happen is, yes, that uh, both the patients and the doctors uh, will have tools 
that basically bypass a lot of what's very, very painful to patients and doctors today, right? So as we know doctors hate the EHRs. They hate the administrative work, right? They hate the documentation. They hate the quality reporting. They hate the you know, late hours, right? And the, and the regulatory you know, BS that they don't think helps. Uh, you know, as a patient, uh, I, I can't read a lot of what's in my medical record, even if I have access to it, right? If I have a question about it, you know, I only to schedule an appointment and do that. That's not really what I want. I think we, we will get to a point where, yes, all of that is going to be much, much nicer, right? I'll be able to go talk to my doctor. Um, you know, it will be uh, transcribed. Uh, the doctor will get the recommendations. I will get the explanations. All the backend kind of processing, reporting, regulatory and such will, will happen in the backend. I, I think we will get there. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to take a few decades, but I think that's def- that definitely is the direction. Yeah, I don't see this replacing doctors either. I mean, you still have bedside manner. There's still the need for that personal touch. I think what it'll, it'll eventually do is give doctors more time to be with their patients because right now they're stretched. I mean, they, they can spend a few minutes and they got to move on to the next one. So if you're able to do less of that administrative work, uh, have more help trying to find answers, you know, because you can't remember everything, ultimately it's just going to be a win, I think, for everybody in the industry. Oh, de- definitely, definitely. Look, and I think, as I said, the, 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 the two big wins here. One is, as you said, look, we, we have a problem with doctors burning out uh, disliking what they do and spending less time with patients than they should, uh, that they want and that we need them to. Uh, that's a big, big problem. And, and I think, yeah, that, that's like technology, like we have a responsibility and duty to uh, reduce, right, that burden so they can do what they want and what they love and, you know, why they chose the profession. Uh, but the other, I think, even bigger thing is really just, just equal access to healthcare, right? Because uh, uh, one thing that's, uh, that's a problem in the U.S., but also it's a bigger problem outside the U.S., if you just look at the you know population growth and you look at the number of doctors being trained, it's not even close, and the gap is going to get bigger, right? So, so the problem is, uh, you know, like you're not you know many people you're not going to be able to see you know especially a specialist, right? So you know if you need a cardiologist, right, or a psychiatrist, or you know, and and you know, and an oncologist or an orthopedic, the person will just not be there. Uh, so what you need, you need to give the doctors that you do have superpowers, right? So a doctor can can come and say, okay, you, you kind of, you know, you can scan a patient, right? And, and you know, the patient will automatically be analyzed against a database of like literally all medical knowledge that humanity uh, has had, right? To that point, that's personalized to that patient, uh, right? And, and then you're making the doctor really much more, much more knowledgeable and able at that point to help, right? Well, of course, that person, you know, the doctor as a person still need to, explain to me what my problem is and, you know, discuss my options and what I'd like to do, right? Uh, but, but I think in terms of if, if, we, if we, we also have a responsibility to make sure that, you know, all of the, you know, all of the great work that's happening, for example, in precision medicine, right, in, in dentistry, in orthopedics, in ophthalmology, in neurology, uh, can actually get to everyone in the world that needs them. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and we, we're just not going to, to get the role with human doctors, right? So that, that's another uh, big, big thing that, that AI can do to us. I would imagine it also would help kind of tamper down the WebMD effect, right? Like, you know, WebMD is great. You can find a lot of information out there, but you can also misdiagnose yourself pretty easily. So I, I would imagine with AI and machine learning, those misdiagnoses, if you're trying to do self-care, are going to be a lot lower because you're going to have higher probability of success rates because of the data that you're feeding in. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think yes. So, so yeah, WebMD, look, when, you know, 
Uh, before OMD, we had actual books, right? And that's how you would self-diagnose, and most people just not have access to them. Right now with MD, yes, you know, every time I have a symptom, yeah, I, would, I, I Google myself to see that, okay, uh, you know, here's why you may die today or, or not, right? <laughs> uh, and, but the problem is, as you say, yeah, all I have, yes, I have a search term, right? So if I have, a, oh, you know, my pinky is broken, because I could put in Google, yeah, broken pinky, and I see what comes up, right? Well, really what, what I want to put in is, no, no, here's my entire medical history, right? Here's my demographics, right? Here's my, you know, my vitals. Here's all the other things I have. I have a family history of this. I had, you know, I'm taking these medications. I've had, you know, this operation last month, right? Now my pinky is, uh, you know, is, is broken, right? And, and then, yes, you know, you, you, you want something smart to tell, oh, no, no, look, that's probably, you know, a fairly well-known side effect of the medication because if you, you know, you don't remember what we changed the dosage two weeks ago, right? Uh, that's a, it's a much more personalized thing. So, so that will happen. Uh, you know, what, what you will still have a problem with uh, is that, uh, uh, you know, none of that will replace an actual human doctor. <laughs> right? uh, so, so what you'll have, you'll have uh, more educated patients, which is great, uh, on a more personalized, you know, using more personalized tools, which is great. Uh, you know, you'd still need them to get professional advice, especially when things get serious. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we were not going to get away from that. No, absolutely, and, and I, I would hope we wouldn't. I mean, you, you, exactly. nobody can be, nobody can know all these things, including the doctor. So, yeah, having exactly. a place where we can store all this information and compare it against other results and other, you know, vital signs that sort of thing is going to be invaluable to getting more accurate results when we are doing our diagnoses. Exactly. Yes, and and also look in healthcare. One thing to know about healthcare is, in general, like uh, people don't want to be educated, right? So, you know, pe people spend tons of times, you know, memorizing, you know, like sports statistics, right? Or looking at, you know, clothes and brands, right? And, and memorizing, you know, movie lines because that's fun and, you know, and, and it's socially, you know, nice, right? Uh, like people don't want to, you know, like nobody wants to sit around, oh, let, let's read about all the different kinds of cancers that can happen to me, right? And, and how horrible the treatment would be just so that I'm educated. Like nobody does this, right? <laughs> uh, this is just not... You know, this, this is not how, how normally you spend your afternoon, uh, right? Uh, which means that, yes, when something happened, you, you have this, you know, serious gap of knowledge, right? Which is why, you know, why people look, right, for, you know, experts, right? Whether Google or, you know, or actual human experts. Uh, and, but, that, I mean, that's going to remain the case with healthy, right? You have this huge diversity of really, you know, unpleasant things that can happen. Uh, and then, and you, you know, when something happened, really, you know, you're stressed and undereducated, right? And, and technology can help you, at least with the, you know, with the education part. It's almost like it's fulfilling the promise of what Watson was supposed to deliver. Was that a, a failure of math, the, the uh, AI techniques that they were using, not enough compute? Because everything that you've been talking about, the summarizing papers and you know, looking at all the available data, I mean, that's what they were talking about, but clearly didn't deliver. So where did they go wrong? Um, I, I think from what I've read, and I've, I mean, I've, I don't know the, the team intimately, but I've read a lot about it. I think really it, it was a case of just overpromising uh, for what the technology was able to do at that time. Right. Um, I think, look, what, what we are seeing, I mean, we, we have, you know, we pride ourselves on having you know, a large number of actual production deployments and production implementations. A, a lot of them start today, you know, when we, we talk to a customer and they say, for example, yes, we want to do this, you know, for example, automated, um, um, you know, like, is this a clinical emergency? Yes or no, right? So really where you want to start is, okay, first of all, you know, we can give you state-of-the-art accuracy, but state-of-the-art accuracy does not mean perfect, right? So, so you start with, okay, what's, kind of, what's the human workflow? 
right? How do technology actually help here, right? How do you deal with, you know, issues of, of safety, right? And fairness and reliability. How do you deal with, you know, with the case where the system is unsure, right? You need to put this together. Uh, right now, I think we really, we, we are at early stage. I think in every project, yeah, we, we, you know, it's kind of, it's an education process for us with the customer to come say, okay, here's how you'd want to put together the system, right? Here's what, what the system can really do for you and automate away. Here are the things you, you need around it. And it's still, it's, it's a learning process. Uh, I think what, what Watson tried to, 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 to come and say is they came and say, oh, look, all this future we describe, which, you know, maybe 50 years out or 20 years out, uh, they claim to already have it. Uh, and I think that's, that's one big failure. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing I, I think there was, and that's something that really it happened to me. It really, I think it happens to everyone who gets into healthcare. Uh, and they say in healthcare, look, in the first 10 years in healthcare, you, you're, you're a newbie and you should, you know, you should know that. Uh, I think there was a, an underestimate of how hard technically healthcare is compared to other disciplines. Uh, and I think people outside healthcare, uh, they often underestimate this. They assume that they know that healthcare is specific and it has its own jargon, its own rules. I think people underestimate just how technically harder the problem is. Really, just from, just if you, you know, like forget the doing AI for good, right, and helping people of that. Just from technology perspective, I think it's a, it's a higher problem. It's a it's a harder problem. And for example, one one of the things that happened, uh, I know that IBM, for, for example, they trained the Watson for oncology, you know, with US physician. They did like amazing US physician, right? They were very well connected. Uh, then they, they had one uh, a case study that they did in Denmark. And what happened in Denmark is I think that the, 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 the oncologist, it was an oncology, completely stopped using the system. They said, oh, we only agree with the system 30% of the time, right? And, and the issue there, it wasn't that, that you know, the system was giving fundamentally wrong recommendations. It was giving US recommendations, mm. right? And, and, and when you do something like oncology, uh, First of all, not everything is a well-known clinical guideline. People disagree about the guidelines, okay? But more importantly, especially if you move you know, between the US and Europe, uh, people just don't believe that the same treatment is the correct one, right? There's just there's different values and different ways that people teach medicine, right? And that's also, that's a lot of where the human element comes in, right? So if someone has cancer, uh, you know, obviously, like it, you know, it's a very personal decision. Do you want the aggressive treatment? Uh, maybe you want the palliative treatment, right? Maybe you prefer to not have any treatment at all, right? Those are, you know, the, 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 it's not a medical question, right? It's a, it's a human values question, right? And the, the fact that if you go even to two hospitals here within the same city, they would treat you differently, right? Right. So, so that right. So, and this is why we we have second opinions, right? We, we want a doctor that actually. You know, things like us, things like 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 us, right? Uh, understand that there are certain things that we want out of the treatment, right? And you know, f- fixing human human body is not like fixing a car, right? When you fix a car, you come say, look, here's how you replace a tire on, you know, on a, you know, on this kind of Volvo, right? There's, you know, there's a checklist. Uh, with humans, you do not work with the checklist. <laughs> humans are <laughs> they're individuals, right? Uh, and I think that that was kind of a, you know, that was a big gap. Right, uh, so so I think that that's that's the I think other really than just the over promising and putting the marketing machine ahead of the you know product itself, uh, I think that there was some, some basic kind of misunderstanding of healthcare, right? Of the, just the level of complexity, uh, the the level of you know the, the the level of nuances you need to solve to have something that people would actually agree to use. All right, David, sounds like you've given us a lot to think about in regards to NLP and how it's being used in the healthcare industry. Again, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? So uh, over email, david at uh, johnsnowlabs.com. 
So J-O-H-N-S-N-O-W-L-A-B-S.com or directly on LinkedIn. Uh, just put me up, David Talby, D-A-V-I-D-T-A-L-B-Y. And Esteban. Yes, I'm at Esteban.Rubens at NetApp.com or LinkedIn Esteban Rubens. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank David Talby and Esteban Rubin for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.